Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Amazon releases a do-anything button for IoT, Google readies its Echo competitor, and mulling over a dedicated HomeKit app with iOS 10. That and my conversation with Kent Dixon of Unomi on this week's Smart Home Show. Hey everyone, Mike Wolf here. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. It is Tuesday, May 16th. It's been a little while since I put out a podcast. Apologize about that. I was actually last week in San Francisco at the big IoT conference down there. I then went over to Williams-Sonoma headquarters and had an event there, which was great. For those of you who came to that, I appreciate it. It was on the Smart Kitchen. We had some really smart folks. We had a celebrity chef. I don't usually run in the same circles as celebrity chefs. But Michael Voltaggio was nice enough to come to our event and talk about his view of the world. Clearly a different world than mine, but still an interesting one. And that's one of the things I like about this uh, event I put on, the Smart Kitchen Summit, which is in October, uh, bringing those worlds together. But that's not what this show is about. Today's show is with Kent Dixon, the CEO of Yanomi, which I had been saying this app for a while. I had actually went and saw Kent in Austin during South by Southwest, and it never dawned on me the slow minded person I am that you know me obviously some some play on words of uh, some way to say yes you you must know me I, I'm sure there's an origin story there that I didn't that I failed to ask Kent about because I realized this after we had chatted maybe I'll get that for you later and uh, relate in this in a subsequent podcast but as I said I had uh, had a chance to connect with Kent in Austin visited them there and we talked about what they do they're an interesting app one of these apps that is started to fill the void that many of us need where we are trying to manage our connected homes, our smart homes, and tired of switching between the various apps from all the different devices. Like if you're like me, you stitch together a number of different devices that you like, maybe not running off of one universal system. That's kind of a problem. If you have a lot of different connected home products, you want to stitch together and they're trying to do the good work of allowing you to connect to Sonos and, and all these other devices and maybe let them interact with one another. They also did an Alexa integration, which they actually announced at South by Southwest. And that's one of the primary ways now that they're enabling people to interact with their platform and allowing folks to use the Unomi technology to stitch together different products and pieces of hardware and interact with them. Kent and I catch up on the news. We talk about the Amazon Dash IoT button. We talk about Google and their potential effort to put out an Echo competitor, which is rumored to be happening soon, probably not at Google I.O., which is this week. We'll see what's happening there. I'll probably catch up with you either later this week or early next next week to discuss the happenings there. But clearly, this is a busy time of year. We're seeing lots of stuff happen around the smart home, so I'm going to try and put these podcasts out more frequently to catch you guys up on what's going on. If you have anything you want to talk about, feel free to ping me through Twitter at Michael Wolf, direct message. That's a great way to get a hold of me. I've inter- uh, interacted with a lot of the podcast listeners there. Again, Twitter, uh, Michael Wolf, and uh, let me know what you want to hear about. As always, uh, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't in your favorite podcast app. You can also find us at technology.fm, our home uh, on the internet, where you can also find a way to subscribe. That's it. 
Here's my conversation with Kent Dixon, CEO and co-founder of You Know Me. Hey, Kent, how's it going? Good, Mike. Thanks for having me. We saw each other down in Austin uh, for South by Southwest. You had some pretty exciting news about uh, integration with a certain platform I think a lot of people were talking about <laughs> called Alexa. Uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, we're going to catch up on everything that's going on with you and You Know Me, but let's do some uh, let's conversation about the news. There's a lot going on in the space right now. There certainly is. I don't know if you uh, saw last week. I was really excited to see that Amazon had uh, announced this IoT button for anything. I've been long advocating for a non-brand specific dash button uh, that I can like use for anything. I don't know if we quite got through this, but I'm excited about it anyway. Uh, I am too. You know, we think about uh, you know the interfaces for IoT coming in very many forms. You know, uh, you just mentioned Alexa. Voice is obviously one of those important interfaces. Uh, the phone is an important interfaces, but we're big believers in physical buttons, uh, that those are just in a lot of scenarios, those are going to be really uh, the most natural thing for people to use. Um, so, so yeah, I think we are all, we're kind of giddy with excitement with the uh, AWS button, uh, kind of limited though it may be at this point in time. And, uh, you know, I think it's just a harbinger for, uh, for things to come. Yeah. I wrote a report for Gigom and I'm going to, take this old report dust off and just publish it uh, and give it away, <laughs> give it away for free because I wrote a lot about uh, this transition towards the invis invisible interface and how voice is going to rise up. And this was a couple of years ago. Clearly we're seeing that with Alexa and that's exciting, but man, there's nothing like this, the sensation of pressing a physical button. And sometimes I think we as an industry get too excited about even uh, software driven app, app driven touch interfaces and in next generation voice interfaces, when the vast majority of consumers outside of like the early adopter crowd still likes that very tactile feel of analog buttons. And I'm, I'm with them when it comes to things like remotes, when I'm laying in bed and half asleep, give, forget the, uh, the application interface. I want the physical button. Yeah, that's right. I, I, uh, I completely agree. I, uh, you know, there's, there's natural ways to inter interface with other things. And, while voice is, is really great in a lot of cases, it does sometimes feel a little weird if, if you're alone in a room, you know, kind of kind of speaking uh, and, and having something happen. Or even when you're not alone, let's say, you know, you're laying in bed and your spouse has fallen asleep and you want to do the go, go to sleep routine, uh, having a physical button to push rather than speaking and potentially waking up your wife uh, is a big improvement <laughs> for that. Yeah, you know this uh for the folks that don't have the the news in front of them who haven't heard uh, just real quickly review Amazon announced this limited edition AWS IoT button. It's it's basically an offshoot of the Dash button. Every button up to this point has been very specific towards the brand. Like you had your Tide button, they they have a condom button. You can just uh press that and reorder <laughs> condoms. Uh but the complaint I always had is like, okay, I just want a button that I can I can assign to any action. What's really interesting to me, and I just I, I speculate about it in this post I wrote today, is like I'm wondering if actually Amazon by releasing a developer button that you can use towards any action, they're they're letting the developers go nuts with this thing. If they're then setting the stage for maybe trying to also own the physical interface for the, for consumer IoT, I think that that's like a space no one's paid attention to because we're all moving towards touchscreens. But if if someone had like this button, I mean, certainly there's been other guys out there like Flick have done kind of mm -hmm. the, the singular button. I think that's a really interesting space. Yeah, it is. And, 
I think we're actually going to see a lot of those. You know, Flick's a great example. There's another one called Button, B-T-T-N, that's out there right now. And, uh, and, you know, we've seen privately a number of other people working on these things and bringing them to market. And I do think that they're really exciting. And they, I, I completely agree. They need to be generic. I mean, it's, it's maybe convenient to have the one, you know, that sits on your washer or in your washroom that says Tide on it, and you can just push it, and Tide shows up in a couple of days. That's all well and good. But, uh, but you know, you, you actually don't want too many buttons. You don't want 50 buttons all with different labels on them throughout the house. I think uh, the physicalness of it, you know, does provide a great uh, user experience. Um, and, you know, you mentioned being able to assign, you know, a specific tasks to it. But I think it... In the end, it gets even more sort of interesting than that. I, I think assigning, uh, uh, having it sort of understand the context that you're in at the moment uh, and basically doing your bidding based on what the context. So let's say there's a, there's a, uh, there's a button in your bedroom, as we were just saying. You know, if, if hey, it's, it's 11 o'clock at night um, and you push that button – well, that's maybe going to turn on like some sort of uh, go to sleep thing. It locks the door, turns out the lights, turns off the music, you know, these various things. Uh, but in the morning when you push it, the very same button, it should do something different, right? I mean, now it knows that the context is you've just woken up and you should start making the coffee and, and warming up the house and uh, turning on the news on your Sonos and things like that. So uh, physical buttons, I think, will be great. I don't think we need a ton of them, but the ones that we do have should be smart enough to do uh, the thing that's appropriate at that point in time. I agree. And I actually have been saying lately that there's a little too much emphasis on the data aspects of IoT because everyone wants to get the usage data. But if we're all in there, like we're all in the business of like trying to make monetization around gathering data, who's actually selling services and, and products, right? So, uh, but I still think, man, if Amazon owned this, if someone owns like this physical button, like the data from that is a gold mine. Oh yeah. Especially if you're a retailer, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Speaking of interfaces, we actually have uh, some Another story that is kind of interesting. This is actually uh, last week. It was uh, Recode that wrote about uh, the Amazon Echo competitor that Google was hard to work on called the Chirp. We had heard this story before. I think the information had the news maybe a month or so back that uh, that Google was working on an Echo competitor. Uh, we have a little more detail, details coming out from Recode, basically saying this thing's called Chirp. Pretty good name. Um, and that it is going to look somewhat like the OnHub. If, you, if the listeners remember Google had this router platform trying to basically recreate and re-envision the router. Um, well, we don't know necessarily if it's coming out of the same group, et cetera. But I think Google is uh, – for a company that's been working on voice recognition for a lot longer than Amazon, they're definitely falling behind a little bit. Uh, so you same can be said for Apple. So I'm not surprised they're working on something new in this space. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think this was always inevitable. Um, uh, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll see similar sort of offerings, I predict, um, not just from Google, but from, from, from Apple and, and, and maybe even from Microsoft. I mean, these are the folks that have the capacity to do this, who have been, as you mentioned, working on voice recognition for a very long time. I, I think Amazon did a fantastic job of demonstrating that, that a physical physical device not just your phone but something that's always sort of there and plugged in and, and uh, has super great listening capability uh, is is a fantastic interface for the home 
so yeah, uh, for sure. I think uh, I think all of these guys will eventually have uh, something of this ilk. Um, I, I think the question is, uh, you know, how how are they going to uh, bring it uh, to the devices? You know, is it going to be an open thing in the way that Amazon did it, which is, hey, look, here's here's SDKs and APIs, and you know we're pretty much agnostic about uh, which uh, ecosystem the devices are in. We welcome them all. Uh, uh, or, you know, I mean, today, you know, what HomeKit represents with the voice control, which is very cool through Siri, um, but it's only available to HomeKit things. So, you know, will Google kind of go the Apple route? Or we'll go the Amazon route. I think that'll be interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, trend. I, I wonder. I mean, I, I love that they did this on hub router announced last year. I don't know mm-hmm. how much there's going to be integration. I don't think the router can be the echo because I think you need uh, you need really far field listening capabilities if it's the router. Um, right. I, I know part of the vision of the on hub is put the the router in the middle of the house where it's because it's more attractive. Um, so it's just, I wonder which direction we're going to go. But one of the trends I'm definitely seeing this year is like in, uh, kind of more attention being paid to the router itself. Um, and I saw the news uh, about a week or two back that the Almond 3, which I'm a big fan of, Securify's Almond. I've, I don't know if you've gotten your hands on those routers. Mm-hmm. The Almond 3 actually has Alexa integration. So I thought that was pretty cool as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's another uh, really interesting move by Amazon is sort of encouraging uh, ecosystems sort of to take this voice assistant technology and embed it in other things. Uh, that's that's very, very cool. And I think we'll see some really interesting things pop out. I didn't phrase that right. It's actually integrated with the Echo. Um, so I think uh, what, what you're going to see is basically the ability to control the Almond through the Echo. I think it would be uh, really right, cool right. if it was embedded in the Almond. I don't know if that's going to be <laughs> this round. But either way, the router being integrated with voice control uh, in some way, even if it's through an Echo, is probably a, a powerful combination at some level. Because if you can troubleshoot your router uh, or your Wi-Fi with your voice, and maybe not make it worse, by the way, <laughs> uh, that'd be, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Last piece of news I want to talk about, something I'd love to get your perspective on. I wrote a piece for Forbes last week, and it was tied to – this news that came out from uh, one of those websites that, that talks about these things said that the in the next generation of iOS, iOS 10, that there would be a native or uh, first-person app from Apple around HomeKit. It turns out those were, were based on hoax. I still think that there might be a possibility that Apple would come out with their, their own app because that's been long-rumored. What do you think about that? Do you think that's possible, and what do you think the implications of that would be? Uh, well, uh, it certainly is possible, and uh, I'm sure there would be a lot of things that go into that uh, decision. Um, you know, I think there was an expectation that there were going to be a lot of aggregator apps that showed up. Um, and, and there are some that are just HomeKit-focused aggregator apps, uh, but there aren't that many. And so I think, you know, that's one of the things, one of the areas in which HomeKit uh, at the moment is still lagging. Uh, uh, the rest of the ecosystem right now. Um, uh, it just hasn't had that much uh, investment in it by software developers. Um, uh, so uh, so I, I think from that standpoint, just tactically, it would make some sense for Apple to say, okay, you know, we'll do it ourselves, we'll deliver this thing, it'll be a great user experience, of course. Um, but, I, but I think that as long as it's, it's a HomeKit-only uh, sort of thing, you know, it's, it's leaving a lot on the table. You know, it seems like the most value uh, that can be had uh, with HomeKit uh, devices that are in the home today is to allow them to be linked and coordinated with things that 
happen to already be in the home that aren't home kit. Um, and so, so I think that would be an interesting thing, whether it comes in the form of an app or just opening the, uh, uh, the APIs and the SDKs a little bit more to enable uh, some of these other devices to come in and, and at least uh, uh, have some presence within uh, the HomeKit world. Yeah, that's always been one of the great criticisms of HomeKit uh, and just generally companies that want to basically own the entire thing, keep people kind of captured in their ecosystem. I I wonder if Google's starting to change their mindset on that. I mean, just to kind of bring another piece of news in from the last week, probably saw that Nest open-sourced uh, their implementation of Thread. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's a one-for-one comparison with HomeKit, but the fact that Google, Google and Nest is moving down that route, well, ostensibly, obviously, to kind of get momentum for their own platforms, um, but th- it's still the fact that they open-sourced it a little bit. Um, I just wonder if like, we're starting to s- see everyone but Apple start to say, hey, maybe we need to open things up a little bit. Uh, yeah, you know, I... I uh... You have your I'm doubts. Li- it sounds I'm like. <laughs> a little bit of a pessimist when it comes to this. You know, I, I, I started my career in IoT with a with a naive <laughs> uh, belief that one day we'd converge on a on a common standard for uh, for devices, um, and I just don't see that happening with all the things going on in the market. I mean, some of them are technically based. There's reasons that. You know, you actually want to be on different radios and use different types of protocols because of efficiency or range or uh, reliability or whatever the case may be. Uh, and then there, you know, I think what you're alluding to, there's, there's political uh, right. reasons right. that uh, that uh, you may join one ecosystem and not another. Um, and and that's never going to go away. Those those issues, both technical and political, will be there uh, for our children's children. Uh, and there will be multiple uh, ecosystems. So, uh, I mean, I think it is great when uh, various folks try to get together and, you know, at least consolidate a few of the efforts. But, boy, if we ever see less than, you know, 10 separate standards, I'll be shocked. <laughs> boy, Kate, you really just depressed me saying that my children's <laughs> children are going to be dealing with multiple Smart home standards. Like, yeah. if, if we haven't moved forward uh, by then, uh, man, that's a sad thing. But you talked a little bit about your background. I know you came from uh, kind of out of that, uh, you, and you're still in that Boulder, Colorado hotspot of, of development around uh, IoT. You came out of Tendro. I think Revolve kind of spun out of those same roots. I think yep. you, you know some of the uh, Revolve founders. So you may actually have some of the folks, know some of the folks over at Google Nest now. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about your background, and then we're going to talk about you know me. So you, like I said, you came. I think you were the CTO at Tendril. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And uh, and that was that was a fun experience. Uh, uh, had some early experience in in smart home and energy management, and uh, a lot of the th- you know uh, this is pre Nest when we were building things like thermostats and switches and everything else to try to. Uh, have a smart home uh, that knew how to uh, use a lot less energy and keep people comfortable. Uh, so that was uh, uh, really exciting. And, and I participated uh, in a lot of those uh, international standards boards trying to come up with a common standard and believing that that could and should be the case. And, uh, uh, you know, now I've got my, my, uh, my uh, scars from all of that. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm a pessimist on the other side, but nevertheless, uh, it was it was a fun time, and, and as you mentioned, spent out a lot of really brilliant people who have gone on and uh, done really important things uh, throughout the IoT, um, and I think we'll continue to. Um, so, uh, you know, when when 
we decided we decided to start you know me uh we we believed all these things that we were talking about you know like okay shoot there's not to be a common standard um however you know we don't need to wave the white flag and say well it's just going to be a fragmented home it's still from the consumer experience there's got to be something we can do so that our children's children uh aren't uh aren't aren't left you know struggling with all of these things and so uh, so we attempted to kind of create this technology platform that could mask all of that complexity and boil it down into user experience that is really intuitive and uh, really easy to use so that really literally anybody can use it. And so you were looking around. You saw what was happening. You you were battle-hardened and a little bit <laughs> bitter having worked on international standards bodies. Um and so you created an app, and we can you can kind of explain it better than me. But an app that is kind of an aggregator app, one of these that integrates with a, a variety of different uh, platforms, whether that's Sonos uh, or Nest, and they're and they're not always um, first party. You don't always have paper or contracts. Uh, I you know I don't think you've done a deal with like Sonos necessarily or with Wemo. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys go you find a way to integrate with these platforms. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we've sort of taken this approach to say, hey, you know, whatever uh, these makers decide to create as an interface, we'll use. You know, we're not going to stubbornly sit around and say, well, until you do X, Y, and Z, then you're out. You're excommunicated from the, you know, me ecosystem. Uh, we're the other way. We're just like, okay, what do you got? Let us figure out how to integrate it and make that a good user experience and make it simple uh, to work with your other things. So you're right. In some cases, you know, we have very deep uh, collaborative relationships with some of these folks and other people. We just use whatever their documented uh, 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 APIs or SDKs are today, and, uh, and we just make it work. And so there are guys like you rising up to kind of fill this void because it is a confusing and uh, quite honestly, annoying world um, where I have to switch between apps if I want mm-hmm. to run a smart home. Unless I fully invested and say I just want to do Insteon or I want to do something right. like that, you know, you're kind of stuck switching between apps and you're trying to eliminate that com- that complexity. Um, so talk a little bit about that. So you you have, uh, I think, tens of thousands of users now. You have how many – I don't know how many platforms you've integrated with, but is that kind of the vision? Did I describe that right? Yeah, it is really right. Um, uh, we we believe that the way that people are going to adopt uh, connected devices, not going to, they are doing this today, is sort of one by one, sort of based on best of breed things. So you're out shopping for, you know, a streaming music uh, player and, you know, you're probably going to gravitate to Sonos. Uh, you're out shopping for, you know, connected lighting uh, you might go, go, gravitate towards Philips Hue or LifeX or just whatever seems to be most appealing to you. Um, and uh, you're shopping for locks and you may end up with a Schlage or an August or whatever. And so you're not going to go buy, you know, a common ecosystem. Some people do that uh, by just, you know, I'm only buying the Insteon stuff. Um, and that's the way I'll build my smart home. But but I don't think that represents the mass market. And so, uh, so we try to reach out and be very agnostic and say, okay, what's popular? Um, and so we've integrated with over 60 of the most popular things uh, as well as we've been able to measure them. 
across Sonos and Hue and NAS products and LifeX, as I mentioned, and and uh, Logitech Harmony um, and uh, Amazon Echo, as we mentioned earlier. And so we 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 work with these things together. You you download uh, as a consumer, you download our app. It automatically discovers whichever of these devices that you have in your house. It says, "Great, here you go. Your devices now can work together." Um, and here's a few things that you can do and then give you the tools to, then to expand that as you like. Um, and so a killer example of this is, uh, you know, of course, we deliver it as an app, but you don't have to use the app on a daily basis. It's really mostly for setup. Um, and, uh, and so once you've done this, then you can actually say, hey, Alexa, turn on movie time. And with that uh, comment, you know, the Sonos music will go off. The TV will go on via your Logitech. Uh, your Nest might adjust to your movie watching uh, temperature, and your Philips Hue lights uh, will will dim. So, in one comment using a platform like ours, you're actually affecting five different ecosystems. Um, uh, but you uh, don't have to know what those are. You don't have to know what those protocols are. It just works, and that's really. Uh, the user experience that 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 people uh, I think need to to be ultimately successful in the mainstream uh, with connected devices. Say they lived in a non-Alexa home. That, I don't know if those exist anymore, Kent. I mean, they, <laughs> but uh, if they don't, are they are they primarily interacting through the Unomi app? Uh, so we try to provide as many, uh, as we mentioned earlier, natural user interfaces right. as possible. Voice is clearly one of them, and so Alexa is such a great uh, use case for that. Um, but buttons are too, wearables are, um, and, uh, and of course your phone, your phone. Um, uh, and so we do have an, an app on the phone that, you know, after you've got everything set up, when you launch the app, it has just big fat buttons that have all your favorite routines. Like, Oh, there's my go to sleep or there's my arrive home or there's my watch movie routine. And you just, and you just push those and they go, or use it as widgets on your home screen. So you don't even have to yeah. launch the app at all. Um, or they can be automated routines like, hey, when I arrive home, start playing music, start adjusting the temperature, turn on the lights, uh, whatever the case may be. So they can be triggered uh, via multiple uh, uh, mechanisms, and we think that that's, that's really important. I mean, you, you are a big uh, advocate of the invisible uh, interface, and, and that's really what we're trying to achieve. Talk about life inside Unomi. You guys have, like you said, 60 different things you've integrated with. Um, some of these you're leveraging APIs. Um, how much of your your kind of day-to-day is like just making sure you're keeping up with all their upgrades? Because I imagine that periodically things break. There may be an, <laughs> like an upgrade from Wemo. Um, and are these then uh, – is it fairly straightforward where you guys uh, – there's not a lot of downtime. You guys can kind of get things uh, synced and running with every off software upgrade that comes from the, hard, the hardware guys out there. Uh, yeah, well, you know, it can be challenging, but, uh, but the truth is, you know, we, uh, we began life and, you know, me knowing that we were going to be integrators and, and, uh, and needing to take on the burden of, of those things. And, and so really as we designed a platform, uh, as well as all of our procedures for operating it, we had anticipated, uh, a lot more churn. Uh, that these APIs from third parties were going to be changing a lot more often than actually we've seen so far, at least. 
Um, you know, knock on wood, you know, next week, you know, 20, <laughs> 20 different companies are going to have a firmware update that breaks something. But, uh, but the truth is, uh, in the last couple of years as we've been doing this, we've only had maybe two incidents in which, uh, uh, something changed from a vendor, uh, that, you know, was unanticipated, unannounced and, uh, caused a short outage. Um, but, uh, it really doesn't happen very often. And, and, uh, it seems that one of the great trends, and it really is great trend uh, uh, in this industry, is that folks have really embraced folks. When I say folks, I mean device manufacturers have really embraced the uh, the ethic of creating good APIs and supporting them uh, and deprecating them and all the other best practices with these things. So that when you put that out there, you know that's sort of a contract uh, with your users and your partners. Um, and you have to honor that contract. Um, and when you do, for whatever reason, have to break it, you know, you need to communicate that so people can have some heads up to react to it. And, and so we're finding that uh, the behaviors around that have been really good. Yeah, you make a great point. I mean, they don't have to necessarily rely on them doing deals, if I'm a hardware maker, with every other hardware deal out there. Um, sounds like they understand and recognize the rise of apps like You Know Me as a way to maybe – um, allow consumers to have like a more connected lifestyle and uh, may make may ultimately make things easier. So they're looking at API first strategies to help kind of facilitate that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're seeing. Uh, a couple of years ago, that wasn't necessarily the case. A lot of these things were really pretty closed or they were, were reluctant uh, to release APIs. And now uh, we see a completely different attitude and ethic about it. Uh, we think that, that people realize that, uh, 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 you know, the, the, the value that consumers are going to get out of these things is only going to increase uh, with more integrations. Well, where can people find you know me? I know you guys have apps both, to, both in the Apple and uh, Google's app stores. Is that, is that where you recommend people go? Yeah, yeah, definitely go there. Um, and uh, if you don't know how it's spelled, it's Y-O-N-O-M-I. Uh, and uh, 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 the app's there. It's free to use, um, and uh, uh, we hope you enjoy it. And they can also find your website at the same spelling, inomi.co. That's right. Hey, Kent, this has been great. Thanks for spending time with me. Yeah, my pleasure, Mike. Anytime. So that was my conversation with Kent Dixon. You should go check them out. Go to yonomi, Y-O-N-O-M-I.com. You can find the iPhone app as well as the Android app. I've been playing with Alexa integration myself. I'll have more thoughts on that in a later podcast, but you should check it out yourself. We can compare notes. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.